ค่ะมอร์นิ่งทุกท่านทุกคนสวัสดีที่พบกับทุกท่านอีกครั้งเราต้องการจะต้อนรับทุกท่านอีกครั้งเราสวัสดีที่พบกับทุกท่านอีกครั้งเราสวัสดีที่พบกับทุกท่านอีกครั้งเราสวัสดีที่พบกับทุกท่านอีกครั้งเราสวัสดีที่พบกับทุกท่านอีกครั้งเราสวัสดีที่พบกับทุกท่านอีกครั้งเราสวัสดีที่พบกับทุกท่านอีกครั้งเราสวัสดีที่พบกับ Chapter five, as it has already been stated. So, if you would please uh, find your place there in Hosea chapter five. In this text, uh, we will see how uh, the priests, uh, the leadership, and the whole nation, how they're going to deal with sin. How they're going to deal with the reality of facing God in the light of being disobedient. We're going to see how their sins kept them from having a close relationship with God. It's not that God doesn't want a close relationship with them, but because of their sins. They're keeping themselves distant from God. They've had numerous opportunities, but they seem to constantly fail at getting it right with God. So, as we see God deal with His people in the text, let's see how we can relate. Let's see how we can learn from those who have gone before us. Let's see if we can find the the signs that are posted. Let us see how we can grow in the knowledge and in the grace of our Lord and Savior. And so, please follow along with me as I read today's passage from Hosea, chapter five. Going to get a little bit of help here. Hosea chapter five. Hear now the word of the living God. Hear this, O priests. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mitzpah, and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore; Israel is defiled. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. The spirit of whoredom is. Within them, and they know not the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also have stumbled with them. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. Blow the horn in Gilboa, the trumpet in Rama. Sound the alarm at Beth Avon. We follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel. I make known what is true: the princes of Judah have become like those who move the landmark upon them. I will pour out my wrath like water. Ephraim is oppressed; 
crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. But I am like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wounds, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. This is the word of the living God. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we come humbly before you, O God, as humbly as we know how. We recognize the reality of the struggle with sin. We constantly fail at doing that which would please you and honor you, Lord. Lord, we recognize that we are imperfect people, desperately in need of your spirit and of your power to be able to do that which pleases you, O God. But we, like the Israelites, can be a forgetful people. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us as we look into the word to see ourselves, Lord, that we might leave here changed people, that we might be able to recognize the truths that is found in your word. We pray that you would give us listening ears. We pray that you would allow our minds to be engaged. Lord, that we might find from your word the deep treasures that are found within. Lord, we'll be careful to give your name the glory, the honor, and the praise. Lord, grant salvation to the unbelieving one. Lord, we ask all of these prayers in the name of Jesus we pray. And the church said, amen. I've entitled this sermon, What's Keeping You From Drawing Closer to God? For the believer, there's always room to grow. There's always room to make changes. Sometimes as believers, we have to change our direction. We have to change our stance. We have to change our position that we might be better able to serve God and to honor him. And so sometimes what we have to do is look at ourselves. We have to look at our lives and we have to see if there's anything that's keeping us from drawing close to God, from having a more nearer relationship with him. Sometimes we don't want to deal with our secrets. Sometimes we, want, we don't want to deal with the sin that we struggle with. Many times it embarrasses us. Sometimes we are afraid to, to be ashamed because of the sin, because of what we've done. And we understand that. Maybe you're not the person who has skeletons in your closet. The reality is before God, all of us fall short. All of us have sinned against a holy and righteous God. And so the reality is we all have secrets or we have information about our past that we're still dealing with today that's hindering us from drawing closer to the Lord. And so we're able to, to think about these things as we, as we approach the text. 
We're able to think about the things that makes us uncomfortable. See, we have to constantly remind ourselves of the identity we have in Christ and stop trying to protect ourselves to be something we're not. And that's righteousness in our own selves. We have to constantly look to Christ and remember that he is ours and we are his. His righteousness is ours. He's taken our sin and he's dealt with that once and for all. But it doesn't mean we won't still struggle with it. And so we have to deal with sin as it is made known to us. We have to deal with unconfessed sins and behaviors that keep us from knowing God better. And so let's see how this relates to us from Hosea 5. If you're trekking with me, here are my points. Uh, My three main points are the downfall of God's people made known. It's the first point. The downfall of God's people made known. The second point is God's coming judgment upon his people. God's coming judgment upon his people. And my final point will be the people's faithless response and God's high expectation. The people's faithless response and God's high expectation. In verse 1 of our text, Hosea states his announcement to the priests and to the whole nation. He describes a picture of a hunter, a hunter who traps his prey. God exposed the people's sin. So listen again to the verse. Hear this, O priests, pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mitzpah and a net spread upon Tabor. The priests and the leaders of Israel, along with the members of the king's family, was commanded to listen and pay close attention. It's as if the prophet is saying, thus said the Lord. I'm representing God, and this is what he has to say to you. So listen closely and pay attention, for there is judgment against you. Why? Because they were leading the Israelite people into a trap. A trap to be exposed at Mitzpah and Tabor. And so he, he, he encourages them to pay attention because this is from God. And in the next verse, the text says, And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I would discipline all of them. The Lord will discipline all those who rebel against authority and slaughters the people. The Lord will pay them back. This is a divine retribution that comes along with the promise. So God gives the judgment And then he promises to keep it. In other words, God is serious about sin. And so, how serious do we take sin? Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners. I wonder how did he come to that conclusion? He more than likely was able to come to that conclusion because he was beginning to see sin in the way God sees sin. 
He became sensitive to sin in the way God is sensitive to sin. He began to see sin as God sees it to the point he began to have a God-centered hatred against it. So how do you see sin? Is it easy for you to get past it? Do you just continue doing what you always do? It ain't a big deal. This is the question. How do we see sin? Because this, is, this could be the very thing that prevents us from having this close relationship with God. And so... Paul began to see sin as God sees it. So do you see sin as little objects or actions done in the presence of God, but have taken on a belief that God doesn't really care? And this would be a warped concept and an attack on the holiness and character of God. Anytime we don't see life with the biblical perspective, we have taken upon a view that is in opposition against a holy and righteous God. So in verse 3, God puts them under his divine microscope, helping them to see how they have sinned against God, helping them to understand how God is viewing them. And so it says, I know Ephraim. God is well aware of what's going on in their lives. He says, I know Ephraim. It's as if God says, I have an intimate relationship with with Ephraim. I know Ephraim. I know Israel. These are the ones whom I have called out of Egypt. These are the ones who have wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. I know Ephraim and Israel. They are not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the whore. You have cheated on me. Israel, the text says, is defiled. No one can hide from the Lord, for he sees all things, and nothing is hidden from his sight. He knows us all just as he knew Israel. He knows those that are his and those that are not. He knows human beings Every human being that has ever lived on the face of the earth, he knows his people and he knows the pretenders. He knows that they are, he knows those that are his by name. He knows them in an intimate way. He knows when they're in trouble and when they have needs. God said simply, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the confidence we ought to have in God. That despite the trials and tribulations we may face, God is still there. God remains. And so, nothing escapes our God. In fact, God absolutely knows. He knows them and he knows us without a shadow of a doubt. In Jeremiah 17, 10, the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. This is how much God cares He searches us. He tests our minds so that he might give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Then in that same book, Jeremiah 23, 24, he states, Can 
a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord. If I may, God is actually saying, I'm everywhere. There's nowhere that we can hide from God. There's nowhere where God does not see us. He sees everything we're going through, every trial, every tribulation, every joy, every, every excitement. God is there. And so if there's sin, if there happens to be sin in our life, it, life, it behooves us to deal with it right away because our God sees So it's better for us to come clean with God about everything because he already knows. We might be able to fool one another sometimes, but we can't fool God none of the times. According to verse 3, the people had become polluted They were foul in their deeds and in their actions. They were filled with corruption. And because of it, this led the people's, led to the people's downfall. You can almost see the spiraling downward in Israel as they constantly continue to sin against God. And so they were, excuse me, they were filled with corruption. This idea is continued in verse 4. The text states, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them, and they know not the Lord. Ephraim and Israel overcome by spiritual prostitution, constantly sinned against God. Therefore, their sinful deeds wouldn't allow them or let them turn from evil to the Lord. They were overcome by these practices of sin. According to the verse, the people of God have accepted a form of apostasy, They were inwardly and outwardly rebelling against God. And this was constant. It was happening over and over and over again. They had essentially essentially abandoned God. And how did they do this? From the inside out. It sounds like Jesus, right? When he says it's not what's on the outside that defiles the man, but it's from Within, sin begins within us, begins in our minds, in our emotions, in our heart, in our desires. And if it goes undealt with, it's going to come out. And so it's important that we deal with sin right away. So... uh, Jesus reminds us of, of this in Matthew 24, 10, verses 14, verses 10 through 14, Matthew 24, 10 through 14. There the text says, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is a reminder to us not to engage in sin. Because engaging in sin for too long will for sure cause us to fall into ruin. 
Sin is a dangerous and deadly act. We must take sin seriously because it can truly cost us in the end. And not only that, but it could have an effect on the coming generations. Generations that is coming behind us could be affected by sin. So just because we've become Christians doesn't mean that we shouldn't live holy lives set apart for the glory and honor of our God. So if we're honest, though we've been saved, set free from the bondage of sin, and set forth in heaven, we still struggle with sin. We have to come to grips with that reality. Because if not, we'll fall into the deception of believing that we're good when we're not. And so, we want to keep this in mind. We want to deal with sin as sin is happening within us. We want to deal with it right away. We can deal with the reality that sometimes dealing with it, right? Sometimes it's discouraging. That, that's fine. That's, that's, that's real. That's reality. We're supposed to be discouraged when we fail to do that which pleases God, when we dishonor the Father. That's, that's normal. We're supposed to have those kind of nerves. We're actually able to feel pain. It's when the nerves have been disturbed and we don't feel sin anymore that we find ourselves decaying and falling greater into sin. And so, uh, we should commit on a regular basis to confess sins because we've offended a holy and righteous God. And we need to ask ourselves, if we love God, should we treat the one we love in this way? We shouldn't, but oftentimes we are hypocritical, we're deceitful, and we're desperately wicked. If we try to paint a picture that doesn't address our sins, then we've been deceived. Jeremiah 17, 9 describes us in this way when he states, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The psalmist describes his uh, depraved status in Psalm 51.5 when he states, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We must take sin seriously because if we do not, it will lead, as we've already stated, to our downfall, just as it has done with the Israelites. So therefore, we must constantly ask ourselves, what's keeping us from drawing closer to God? Why aren't we having the kind of relationship that God has promised us in his word? Verse 5 continues to shed light on their condition. There it states, the pride of Israel testifies to his face. Israel and Ephraim shall stumble in his guilt. Judah also shall stumble with them. Pride is the same thing that hinders us, that causes us to stumble. Israel's and Judah's stumbling in sin because of their pride will only lead them to recognizing that the testimony of God is against them. So their pride will lead to it being 
the testimony that is against them. It reveals how prideful and arrogant they've become. This will only lead to the fall of both the northern and southern kingdoms. In other words, the people of God are in a bad state. They ought to be seeking out the Lord that they might with humility acknowledge their sins and repent and turn from their sins. Instead, they are dragging their feet in pride rather than seeking out the Lord. So you know what the Lord says because of their neglect? He says, I will withdraw myself from them. I'm going to withdraw myself from my people. Listen again to verse 6. With their flocks and their herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn from them. The people of God made some attempts to find the Lord. They tried new discoveries. They attempted with all earnestness to have an experience with the Lord their God. However, they failed to reach God because the Lord has distanced himself from them because of their pride. You can imagine all of the emotions that filled them trying to listen, trying to hear what God is saying to them. They were, like, they were more than likely going through mental and physical changes within themselves because of their failures and dissatisfaction of not hearing from God. Silence is one of the most effective tools in having others to listen and to reflect upon a particular circumstance or a particular event. We have those kind of conversations, and sometimes it helps for us to just be quiet and listen, not only so that we can try to understand, but that the person may realize their own words. And so silence is one of the most effective tools. Sometimes we have to allow life to just happen so that we might be able to understand what's really going on. Sometimes we, when we step back and consider for a moment the situation at hand and what others have stated, only then can we come to a solution that is better suited for the issue at hand. But in many cases, the solution does not require quick responses. Change sometimes takes time. Sometimes quietness is the best teacher. In this case, the Lord sees Israel's arrogance and decides it best to withdraw himself from them because of their blatant disrespect and dishonor. Have you ever been in some sort of conflict with another person where mere quietness were more effective than continuous talking. Sometimes withdrawing from conflicting situations temporarily can help if the goal is restoration. God always has a plan to restore his people in a right relationship with God. And we ought to follow God in having our relationships restored when there is conflict. We're called to be peacemakers. And so, it's, it's never helpful when there's a total withdrawal. Because this severs any kind of communication. 
As Christians, we ought to be peacemakers. We must seek opportunity that we might resemble Christ. We might look like the sun. We might begin to do the things that the sun does. Take whatever consequences, whatever persecution that we've been called to because we're called to look like the sun. The question is, are we willing to look like the sun? Are we willing to be talked about, to be made fun of? to be considered disqualified. This is, this is what we want to, to think about as we're considering how we have dealings with one another. And so we're able to learn how God dealt with his people. So this requires good communication with humble hearts. God hates pride. We must humble ourselves before the Lord our God and remember the cross of Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ must be our aim and goal so that God would not withdraw himself from us. We might continue communing with God. Unfortunately, this has been the downfall of God's people for the past and present generations. Verse 7 is another reminder to the people of God that they will have to face the judgment of God in the future. The text says they have dealt faithlessly with the Lord for they have borne alien children. Now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. Israel and Ephraim was disloyal. They were treacherous. They betrayed the Lord with acts of infidelity and disbelief. They practiced spiritual adultery Constantly, and because they conducted themselves in disobedience by taking part in that which was forbidden, they gave birth to children that did not belong to the Lord. God warned them to not connect with the surrounding nations who are worshiping idol gods. Do not marry their, their women. Do not have relationships with them, have nothing to do with the surrounding nations because they are worshiping idols. But they did it anyway. And because of it, we see the, their downfall. Um, sin only leads to destruction in the end. When you follow the thread, Sin leads to destruction. It may be okay for now, but ultimately sin leads to decay. It leads to destruction. And so we could see how we need to rid ourselves the moment we notice it. So... um, This is one of the reasons why people continue in sin. People continue in sin because it feels good. Even though it leads to destruction, it feels good. And I think at first they felt like they were good. But when, but with sin, With sin, there comes an illusion that all is well. This is one of the reasons why people can feel good about their sins for the moment. The people of God may at some point felt good about their sins, but ultimately it led to their downfall. And in their case, Worshiping false gods will destroy them and eat away at the things they hold dear. 
all of their wealth will be ravaged. The Lord is going to consume them. And so it's important for us not to believe the lie. Our flesh is manipulative. We cannot trust it at any moment because eventually it will fail us and let us down miserably. Sin leads to devastation. And so we must be like a watchman on the wall looking with a serious mind so that we make sure that sin does not come over the walls. We must be a wise watchman. Sin is dangerous. It's poisonous like a cancerous disease. It requires our immediate attention and careful awareness. Do not neglect your sins, for it will only lead to your downfall. So this reminds us of Romans 6, 16 and 17, where Paul, Paul is reminding Christians there in Romans 6, 16 and 17, he states, do you not know that if you, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. We have a different standard that we're living by. We're living by the standard that have been put in the word of God so that we might walk on the narrow path. So he says, we who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which we were committed. We are children of God, no more slaves of sin. It's only by the blood of Christ that we've been set free. And those whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. The next section uh, we shall deal with, as we have already stated, is called God's coming judgment upon his people. In verse 8 and 9, the text says, Blow the horn in Gilbeah. Gilbeah means the hill. Um, Saul and his army were, were here um, in, in Gilbeah. And then it says, the trumpet in Ramah. Ramah is the place where Deborah judged Israel. So just kind of give you uh, placement. And then it says, sound the alarm at Beth-Avon. Beth-Avon is another city assigned to the tribe of Benjamin. Then the text goes on stating, we follow you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel. I make known what is sure. God is sending judgment upon Ephraim. The alarm was sounded and in due time, Ephraim would become a wasteland. Before all the other nations, they who used to be a thriving nation will become a dry wasteland. Why? Because of their disobedience to the Lord. This northern nation will be an uninhabitable wilderness. There will be no cultivation in the day when God administers his judgment. Ephraim will be useless and God would make sure of this. And he have stated, for I will let it be known. So this is not something that will be tucked away quietly. But the text says that God 
I make known what is sure. How many of us have become useless for the Lord because of our disobedience? How many of us have become a spiritual dry wasteland because of unconfessed sin and unrepentance or just simply being neglectful? Can we truly say that we've grown in our faith or have we remained the same? Where do do you stand? This is something that all of us can be challenged by. Even those of you who may not know the Lord, do you have a relationship with the Lord? That's, That's the question you need to answer. Are you saved from God's righteous wrath through faith in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection? Where would you like to be? What are your plans in going forward? True, true success comes only when we're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in verse 10, it reiterates the coming judgment of God, stating the prince of Judah have become like those who move the landmark. Upon them I will pour out my wrath like water. Here we see in the verse that the leaders of Judah have become like thieves. They've become deceptive in their dealings with God. They've taken a page from those who move landmarks to gain what I call privilege leverage. So in order to gain privilege, leverage, and wealth. I'll just move the rules a little back. I know this is supposed to be out of bounds, but let's just push them back a little bit. And that's how sometimes we deal with sin. It's not that bad. It's not a big deal. Um, We're pushing back the landmarks. God have laid the landmarks in place that we might live by them. So this is why God is is frustrated. This is why God is angry with Israel. Why? Because they've become cheaters. They do not play according to the rules, and they will do anything to gain an advantage. God said, but he's going to pour out his wrath upon these social forms of fallen humanity. This is a structural evil. It's fallenness displayed in humanity and in its systems. It's as if the world is tilting their hat to evil. You're good. Continue. They're allowing sin to continue without fully acknowledging it. But God says he would judge sin in the fullest extent of his divine law. The verse describes his judgment as coming forth like a gushing river flooding the earth. And guess what? You can't hold it back. You can't stop it. When judgment comes, it will fall. And those who are outside of Christ, there is no hope. There's no hope for you. If you are outside of Christ, there's no hope. You cannot run from the judgment of God. Christ is the only shelter. And therefore, you must run to him. You must run to Christ. He is the rock by which you can stand on and be delivered from the floods of God's judgment. Christ is that rock. The Lord's judgment will be like crave waterfalls crashing against the rocks. Jesus often testified about how this world's works are evil. We must do the same. 
we must have an obligation to stand with Christ for righteousness and for truth. Jesus stated to his unbelieving brothers in John 7, 7, saying, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. Christians should not involve themselves in human and worldly traditions to the point of being captivated by Satan's priorities. We are no longer members of his family. We've been adopted into the family of God. Therefore, we are members of the kingdom of God. We are not of this world. We are pilgrims passing through. We must know our identity and live for God the rest of our lives. And so what what are we captivated by? What are you captivated by? What do you love most? What are we captivated by so much so that we neglect the weightier things of God, such as prayer, the study of the scripture, family devotion, and fellowship, just to name a few? What hinders these kinds of things from happening is the challenge. Apostle John reminds us not to be controlled by the world because Because it's passing away. Only what we do for God will last. And he states it in 1 John 2, 15, uh, uh, verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. It's as if God is saying, stop wasting time with things that could be lost. Things that could be destroyed. Things that will have in it decay. Your house can easily have wood that is rotted in it and make that value go down to the floor. So it's a reminder not to hold on to these world, this, this world. We're to use the things that God has given us, yes and amen, but we're not to hold on it where those things are captivating to us. And so I'll state that last part of it, uh, that last part of the verse again. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Those who are in Christ shall abide forever with the Lord. However, those apart from Christ will face his coming wrath. So because of Ephraim's disobedience, they will face God's righteous wrath. In verse 11 and 12, the text says, Ephraim is oppressed, crushed in judgment because he was determined to go after filth. That's how the world is described. And the things of the world, filth. But here's what God says. But I am like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. This is God's coming judgment upon his people. Since Ephraim was so determined to follow man's filthy ways, they were faced the judgment of God. They will be oppressed and crushed. They will be destroyed like clothing eaten by a moth and like wool, like wood eaten by dry rot. And then the text says, and God will surely do it. In other words, Ephraim can count on it. So how determined are you? This is a reminder to us Just as we are determined in many cases to commit sin, God is much more determined to carry out his righteous judgment against all forms of evil. God would not tolerate sin at any time, in any form, for any reason. Listen to uh, these verses in Psalm 34. 
Um, Psalm 34, 16 says, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. John 8, 34, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Romans 8 and 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It, it's, it's useless. God withdraws from us if we are in sin. 1 John 1 and 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We cannot say we have fellowship with God and at the same time practice sin. So our living for Christ is not dependent upon ourselves, but is solely dependent upon the Spirit's work and his power within. We are needy people and we must rely upon his help to enable us to live for God. So this is a much needed discipline that requires practice. We must train ourselves with God's help to act in accordance with the word of God. So what's your plan? When you leave here, what's your plan? Will all of this just go out of the window, God's word? Or will we face the text, face the reality, and see what it is we have to change? That's the question. How can we learn from these Israelites who have paved the way for us? If we do not learn From them, we too will face God's coming judgment upon his people. Those of us who are outside of Christ, there's an eternal judgment. The scripture teaches us that God disciplines those whom he loves. So it's not like we won't face any discipline, any judgment from God. But because he loves us, Because he wants us to draw near, God will discipline us. So don't allow sin to prevent us from drawing closer to God. This leads leads us to the final main point, which will be pretty quickly. This last point says, the people's faithful, it's entitled, the people's faithless response in God's high expectation. In verses 13 through 15, the text says, when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king, but he is not able to cure you or heal your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. This speaks again of both the wrath and coming judgment of God. We need to hear this because it's the word of God. If we're thinking that we're above this, that we don't need Hosea 5, we will fall. We will fall hard and fast. And so we're to treasure the word of God. We're to look to Lord, look to the Lord. Verse 15 says, I will return again to to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. Ephraim and Judah realized that they were spiritually sick. They took note of it. They recognized that they were weak and exposed. They began knowing that they had no one to save them. But instead of turning to God, they turned to the idol gods of Assyria to no avail. I have to ask the question, why? With all of the evidences, 
God has shown them. They were determined to seek happiness, to seek joy, to seek satisfaction apart from Christ. And people are still doing it today. They think that they can be satisfied away from God, without relationship with God. But how, how foolish this is. This is a faithless response before the true and living God. They depended on, upon mere man who, sh- who shared their sins, their sinful nature, their weaknesses, instead of the God who saves his people out of all their troubles. So in response, God will bring them his mighty justice. No one will be able to save them. We see this in verse 14. God gives us this image. He says, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim. Then he says, not only that, I'm going to be like a young indicates I'm going to be like a strong lion. To the house of Judah. I even I will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue. I was thinking to myself, doesn't this sound like the Discovery Channel? <laughs> you know, when a lion is, is chafe, chasing after the animals and then before you know it, there's blood everywhere. The animals have been shredded to pieces because of the lion. This is the image that God has given to his people that this is what it's going to look like. And so, here we see, until the people of God acknowledge their guilt and the sins they've committed against God, they cannot repent. In other words, they need to come before God humbly. Don't make change before you confess. Before you acknowledge sin, don't put band-aids over problems because it's deeper than the surface. Sin is like cancer, and that requires spiritual surgery. And so, therefore, we must look to Christ, who is the greatest surgeon that ever lived. For with him... To those who believe, there is mercy, but those who do not believe, there will be no mercy. Today is the day of mercy, but the judgment of God is on the way. There's only two ways to respond, faithfulness in the Lord Jesus Christ or faithfulness in disbelief. This is another reminder to those who are out of step with God. Just as birth symbolizes the beginning of life, death begins during the same process. So don't think you have time. Don't think you can keep putting it off because you're young and you have your life ahead of you. Don't think you can put it off because tomorrow will be there waiting for you. Don't don't trust yourself believing that you have time. Time is not on our side, side. Time is unpredictable. It can't be trusted. Life is short in light of eternity. But here's the hope. The hope is that as of right now, time is available to you. Hope in God, trust in him, rely upon him. Jesus is the only one who can help. No one who truly believes can lose their salvation. Jesus settles it in heaven. Listen, I'm going to close with these comforting words from Psalm 32, verses 8 through 10. This is the word of God, and I hope it encourages you. I will instruct you and teach you. In other words, you don't have to know all the answers. 
and do things according to your own power. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God is an all-seeing God. He knows where we are. He knows what we're going through. He knows the problems. He knows the decisions we have to make. God is saying, cast your cares upon me. My burden is light. Rest, in other words, in the Lord. He continues in Psalm 32, be not like a horse or a mule without understanding. You know what that's like? That's like if you're in a boxing match and instead of you trying to find an opening for your opponent, right, you're just beating at the air. No plan, no purpose. No plan, no purpose. God has the plan. He has the purpose. We must trust him. He says, don't be like the horse and the mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. That's one of the reasons why we have problems, because we don't trust the Lord. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. So what's keeping you from drawing closer to God? And I'm going to close with this last verse from James 4 and 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. In other words, hate sin. Come humbly before God. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He will exalt you. Let us pray. O Lord and our God, this is your word for your people. May we leave here a change transform people. In your name we pray. We pray. Amen.